0: Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. You're listening to Pop, the History Makers, with me, Steve Blame. Dieter Meyer from Yellow. This is... Obviously, a massive pleasure uh, to be talking to you. Um, I want to first of all start talking about your early life and about what sort of music your parents listened to and what sort of creative influences were around you at that period.
1: Well, uh, period is a good good word. But uh, the beginning of uh, going to university uh, was uh, uh, very strange because I didn't like it. And I did all kinds of things like uh, I was a semi professional poker player. Uh, I was uh, traveling. Uh, I did a lot of things that were pretty useless. And I had to find myself at the beginning of my whole, let's call it, uh, of my whole being.
0: You were born towards the end of the Second World War. And um, obviously, um, Switzerland was a neutral country, so it wasn't in the war. Um, But there must have been. Um, uh, and I talked to Wolfgang Fleur about this from Kraftwerk, and he talked about how his political leanings were formed because of being of that generation, and also in terms of sort of cultural aspects and so on. How how was that for you?
1: Well, of course, I was a a student uh, of of law. I wasn't really doing a lot there, uh, but I was definitely a part of a of a movement uh, of of people, of my friends, uh, who did not agree uh, with what happened uh, in Switzerland and uh, how big the scale was between poor people and people who were very wealthy. And basically, after all these years, we still have the same uh, system. Maybe it's a little better for the poor people, but uh, poor people had a very tough time at that time. And uh, I was part of... uh, protesting against this with many different means. I had uh, lots of uh, street ideas that I did and so forth, but uh, I, I don't want to really talk about it. it, it it's too uh, simple. It's, uh, it, it doesn't interest me to go back to this. I had uh, a lot of street theater things uh, that I did with a group of people, and uh, that was my contribution, my little contribution which, of course, was not very important at the day. day. Did your parents value a creative life? Oh, absolutely. They they knew exactly what I was doing, and uh, they gave me uh, all uh, the freedom. Uh, They were very confident uh, that uh, I would make uh, my way, and there was never, ever discussion uh, Dieter, are you really studying the law, and uh, how is it going, or, or or any any pushing thing? My parents were happy that uh, I had a good relationship with the whole family, and uh, even though I went on another path, another, uh, another road, uh, I mean, there were discussions, of course, but very productive and, and good uh, discussions.
0: You mentioned that you became um, a poker player. But what is it about pl- poker? Could you say that it gave you in a positive way? And what did it, did a dependency to gamble leave you with?
1: Well, poker uh, is a, a, a total escape from the real world. You know, if you are a poker man, uh, you are like under a, a glass, uh, how should I say, a glass wall. Um, the, the whole world around you doesn't count anymore because Uh, Each um, time you get uh, your cards uh, is is like a a new life and and you have to make decisions. What do I do now with my cards? So I learned a lot uh, playing uh, poker.
0: Did um, the dependency to poker leave you with, was was that sort of difficult to get away from, this dependency? The what? The dependency, because you have talked about gambling before, and and in, a, in a essence, it's a dependency. Like you know, drugs are a dependency, or anything. No,
1: no, no. Drugs were not an issue. My my only, uh, how should I say, my my only uh, leaving uh, the 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 normal uh, society uh, was was not there because I was a, a professional gambler. I mean, four or five times in the week. Uh, I was gambling from uh, nine in the evening till five uh, in in the morning. And uh, when there was no poker party, I felt like a lost dog and was strolling around town and didn't know what to do with myself.
0: You were brought up in a wealthy family and you were a millionaire by the time you went to university, I've read. so And you became an artist. So why do we generally believe that art can be only created by the poor?
1: well that this is not the case i mean a lot of artists uh, were ca- came from very wealthy families and uh, made a big career and, and a lot of uh, people with no background also uh, made uh, a big career even uh, when when you when you need um, uh, to uh, uh, when you don't need to make money uh, because you have to win as a as a as an artist you're even more hungry than the, the wealthy guy who uh, does not uh, sort of uh, is not showing uh, how good he is as a as a so-called artist you know it, it's a, i was lucky that people i did a lot of pieces on the street and some important uh, uh, gallery and, and, uh, and uh, 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 museums, uh, they gave me the opportunity uh, to show uh, what I uh, could show. The first time uh, when I was quite young, I had a, 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 a show just for me uh, it, at, at the Kunsthaus. And uh, I was very surprised because until that, uh, all my so-called art pieces happened uh, on the street I did lots of things uh, on on the street and they thought it was kind of interesting and uh, then I was at the, at the Museum of Zurich and uh, in, in 72 I was invited to uh, documenta and so forth and uh, of course th- it was a luxury uh, that I that making money was not my first issue my first issue was sort of finding myself in in, in what I did, you know, and uh, it it wasn't, um, how should I say, a hunger uh, to, to become big and famous. The only thing that made a difference for me was that uh, I was always happy when I had an important exhibition because this was nice for my parents because my parents could not really follow what this guy was doing. Uh, but uh, when I had the chance to uh, to sh- ha- ha- have an important show in a the museum, uh, they could read from that that uh, I I must not be uh, just a-, a crazy nutcase who does strange things on the street. <laughs> uh, did
0: you have a mentor in any way, or you know a particular person, or through books, or did you achieve things by doing?
1: very much by doing and uh, my street pieces were pretty absurd and uh, it was uh, dealing with uh, the total nothingness you know everything i did made no sense whatsoever it was just there because i wanted to be there and i had no other reason to put anything somewhere
0: i mean one of the ones you did and you've mentioned already uh, a couple but in 69 you sat in a public place and counted a hundred thousand pieces of metal. So how, what was the reaction to this?
1: Well, the reaction was quite surprising. A lot of people came there and uh, they wanted to know, what is this guy doing? It was on a public square. And uh, very funny was that an elderly uh, group of people, uh, they wanted to ask me, what, what, is, what is it exactly you're doing? And of course, I was not talking to anybody and, and then uh, they were going around this framed uh, circle uh, where I had my pieces of metal and I was sitting on a box, on a wooden box. And then uh, the husband of this lady uh, went a little down and he was reading from that box, import, export. And they the, the both were very happy that they had a solution uh, what this guy was doing, import, export. But uh, of course it was not import, export. It was totally useless. you know. <laughs>
0: But art, art is a brave occupation, isn't it?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, in, in a way, you you have to be brave. Yeah, but uh, very funny it was that uh, these street pieces uh, I did uh, that they uh, were discussed and they appeared in newspapers and and people were uh, sort of trying to find out what the hell is this guy really doing because it was absolutely uh, without any, as I told you, w- without any. Uh, a mission for anything. I, I loved the fact that what I did was just there because I wanted it to be there and for no other reason that I had made this decision that I want to do this and there was absolutely total emptiness and no way uh, was something behind it it was useless.
0: You mentioned the art piece in Castle which was in 1972 and that was about returning one day uh, to do the completion of that work who turned up at the station when you uh, you did return?
1: Well, there were a lot of people. There were hundreds of people, but most people, because in the meantime, uh, you know, it was uh, 72. I put this, this iron memorial plate, which said uh, that 22 years later, I'll be back here on a, on a Friday or whatever afternoon. And a lot of people were reading this, and a lot of people were crossing uh, the, the path there, uh, and they uh, were reading this plate and it was like a memento mori, you know, it was like, uh, be aware of when you when your life is over. And it was quite moving that uh, hundreds of people came there and, uh, and they wanted to see who is this guy who, who promised that he will stand on a plate 22 years later. But for a lot of people, it, it made sense, you know, they, they had to... They had to think that the, what is gonna happen with me in 22 years and that the people wanted to, after I was over for this one hour, uh, people wanted to have signed a lot of things. And of course, uh, for a lot of people, it was also important because in the meantime, uh, working with Boris Blanc, uh, I was a, a, a kind of a singer or an artist, a, a verbal artist or whatever. And a lot of people loved uh, our music. And maybe a lot of these people, they came uh, just to see uh, uh, Dieter Meyer and Boris Blank because at that time we did not perform in public. You mentioned earlier about
0: poker. And uh, I just wondered what art has taught you about humanity that poker didn't.
1: Well, poker is a very honest game. Uh, it's a mind game, of course, and uh, uh, it, it's just like uh, any other type of work. You know, it, it's not. Uh, and as I told you, it's 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 a total escape from, from the so called real world. But but part of it by now is that being a po- professional poker player, uh, that's a job like any other job whether you are working in the stock exchange or as a, a truck driver or whatever, you know, you, you, you do your job and playing poker, you, you, you do your job. That, that was what it was all about, nothing else.
0: So let's move on now in terms of uh, music and Cry For Fame. Um, how did that track come about? It's a track that feels really way ahead of its time.
1: Well, the Cry for Fame, of course, was a, a little bit uh, of a joke uh, because I was not a professional singer at all. And I, because I couldn't really hit the notes correctly, uh, I started uh, to, to do a lot of rhythm with my voice, which finally, then, when I worked with Boris Blank, went to standing at the machine every day for all my life and used to do it and I needed, you know. And this was kind of a, a pre rap situation and uh, we were spearheading uh, Boris, Boris's wonderful uh, sounds, his wonderful rhythm and music, and my uh, sort of minimal, I wouldn't even call it singing. I was more of a, a how should I say, a, a rhythm guy, you know? And cry for fame was a self ironic uh, situation uh, that, uh, I mean, I, I couldn't care less. I, I was not interested in, in, in a true cry for fame, he was just making fun of myself that uh, we would like cry, and I was very loud on stage. I could when I had a a, a, a gig with with my uh, with my um, uh, punk situation, I, I couldn't sing again uh, for for at least three or four weeks because I was just crying. But for fame was fun, you know.
0: But that was the track that actually brought you to to Boris Blank and Carlos Perón, wasn't it? It was the uh, the thing that. Uh triggered a meeting um, and led you to their flat. Can you tell me about that?
1: Well, there was a nice, very small shop in Zurich of uh, a guy who had come into Switzerland. He was from, I think, Czechoslovakia and he had always the the, the best and newest uh, records and Boris uh, was a fan of of music and he spent a lot of time in this little shop and uh, then uh, this He knew that this this guy, a very nice guy, by the way, he was the first who was producing me and my punk band and was publishing it or or made a a single of it. I think we made about 150 or 200 pieces. And uh, uh, then Boris was encouraged that something as uh, basic as, as my way of singing that, that he would be a much better uh, musician. And he went to see this guy, Weisabel was his name, and said, uh, well, listen to my music. I'm much better uh, than Dieter Meyer. I'm much, much better. And then Weisabel said, well, I mean, if you're much better, uh, but I don't want you, I, I produce you, but uh, I don't want you uh, to have a, a so-called professional singer. You have to have a, a, a different singer that works much better Um, uh, for your music than a guy who is just uh, another type of uh, pop singer or whatever other singer. And Boris did not like that, but it was the only way how he could produce uh, his first single. and It was very funny how it it came about. Uh, We recorded uh, this uh, partly in where he lived and I was shouting so loud that they lost their flat. But then we went to a real studio and did this, uh, uh, this uh, uh, first thing, this uh, c- cry for fame.
0: But I read that you actually had to convince them that you were the right person to work with them after that.
1: Convince, uh, yeah. I mean, but uh, I, I was not trying to be pushy. I had done standing at the machine every day for all my life and used to do it and so forth. You know, this was a totally new thing, which much later, some years later, was leading to big success in the United States.
0: What what did you actually think of Boris's music, and how open was he to have someone add to his style?
1: Well, Boris uh, was uh, living his life uh, inside music. You know, he was a, a truck driver uh, to make a little bit of money, and four o'clock uh, in the afternoon, he had a, a free uh, a free hours uh, until. Uh, like mid, mid, midnight every day, every time. And he was just living, uh, he was living his music for, for him. His music was the oxygen that made him, uh, made him alive. You know, he, he, and of course, somebody who was so devoted since he was a little boy, actually, he did, he, he, he created all kinds of strange rhythms and strange sounds. And he was a, I call him a musical painter. And the the interesting thing of his approach to this was that he did not compose something and then produce it, but like a painter, he started in in the left corner and started to uh, to, to play, I'm translating this now into an invention, he he started to to, uh, produce a rose. And at the end of his process, uh, he saw a camel on the canvas and he surprised himself. This is something very important that he did not have a clear idea when he started, but he was kind of thrown into his own approach, into his own music step by step. And he was a little bit like a child in a a sand pit that was surprised when somewhere a little castle was suddenly visible. And he, he surprised himself. When I met him, he had a hundreds of cassettes because he produced a piece more or less every evening when he when he came home from work and but he never really played this uh, to anybody you know he was maybe too shy maybe he didn't want it to be disturbed by his work he, he didn't want it to hear uh, co- uh, uh, or to, to get into a conversation uh, whether he was good or not so good or whatever and this made him so interesting but he really lived his own musical life without looking to the left or to the right. It was, he was living in his world.
0: So in terms of what you say there about him living in his work and not looking to the left or right, how much of an equal role could you play at the beginning?
1: Well, as I told you, uh, I was uh, not really a trained or, or very talented singer. I had a good uh, idea of rhythm of Boris's uh, uh, great great, uh, pictures, you know, that was uh, uh, obviously an interesting symbiosis. And the most important thing was, and we did not artificially look for that, but the the most important thing was that uh, we did it our way. Nobody had ever done something, neither Boris's music nor my limited singing.
0: Let's go on to the albums, because... Um, you've now re- um, released these six albums on vinyl with, with 12 inches, photos and memories. What What is the idea? What do you want to impart with all these photos and memories and this collection?
1: Well, this was something uh, Boris kind of liked and uh, I was not really involved in that because uh, I'm never uh, looking back, you know, I mean, from all the yellow pieces uh, hardly ever I have looked back and have listened uh, to the music I did. But this is the case for what I'm writing. And it is the case for everything I do. Uh, I see this as footsteps, uh, but uh, I, I, I never look back. I mean, I go on and for years I don't produce anything. I'm totally useless. And then suddenly some other footsteps somehow appear.
0: And in this, you include photos of your respective wives. Is this in a way to honor their role in your success and what has been that role?
1: No, that, that was not uh, of any importance. It was just fun. Like uh, I uh, had my, uh, my little daughters uh, acting in some of acting. I mean, they just had fun. They were like children, they were children. And um, the, the fact that uh, our, uh, our wives uh, also appeared eventually Patricia much more than than Monica uh, in in our music, but it was not a planned concept that we now promote uh, our wives. It was just like having fun uh, with uh, Patricia and 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 Monique, my wife, uh, and if they liked to be part of it, okay, jump into the world of Boris Blank, and and here you are. If there was no concept behind that, and they also did not. Uh, Uh, They also did not sing, but both these ladies are are very great dancers. And uh, it was just fun doing this, you know. I mean, practically everything we do was uh, having fun. And when the famous Anton Corbein was present at our video shoots in his wonderful Dutch language, he always came to me and said, Dieter, this is chaos. This is total chaos. How can you do this? Um, This was exactly What I did, I had a 16 millimeter camera. By the way, uh, this was my first movie that I did and I was invited even to the Cannes Festival uh, because they had to open their doors to experimental stuff. And uh, so I used the camera like like a brush, so to speak. And the beautiful thing was that whatever I did with that camera, I couldn't see it immediately, but I loved the idea to do crazy things with the camera uh, and then be happy to see it when, uh, when it came back from, from the lab and it showed uh, what had come up uh, sort of uh, as a wonder. You know, of course, I had a certain routine by the time, but it was really making fun of uh, throwing this camera in the air, of having single uh, shots, of, of having superimposed shots. And, and uh, it, it was not an interpretation of our music. It was something that was... Uh, kind of how should i say it was a it, it was a, an additional uh, nice uh, combination, but uh, it was not that i tried to interpret Boris's sounds or our music uh, and then made a video of that the videos were as crazy as everything i did
0: i mean going along with that you said earlier about boris's music uh, as a cinematic experience so what did that allow you to contribute in a wider sense um because you'd you'd made films with sounds before um and and i wonder whether it gives you a wider palette that you can contribute on
1: yeah i mean boris uh was kind of skeptical at the beginning uh of uh our of my contribution as a, as a filmmaker but uh at the end of the day uh, he started to like it uh, that uh, his his contribution which was major of course uh, that uh, this was uh, something uh, uh, separate it was not uh, an interpretation Boris would never accept an interpretation it, it was it was like very distant from his music and uh, as i told you we we were flying in a balloon and we did all kinds of of uh, the funny things. We we, we enjoyed uh, the, the experiment of the, the rhythm and the paintings of Boris uh, and uh, to edit then uh, in a positive way what had come out. But, but there was no concept. There was no script. There was maybe one idea like you might remember pinball cha-cha. You know? We had a pinball machine somewhere in our studio and uh, Boris was just a, a, a pinball uh, a virtuoso and it was very funny uh, that uh, he was uh, sort of performing and uh, he, he 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 proposed uh, that that he should sing or kind of sing with my voice you know cha uh, Chacha was boris blank as a musician and as a kind of uh, he, he 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 used my rhythms and i loved it i loved it that uh, that he was a uh, uh, everybody thought that was Boris uh, singing, but it was my voice and he it was a, a, an overdub that he did it. He was a bimbo cha-cha freak.
0: You're listening to Pop, the History Makers, with me, Steve Blame. So that was from the second album, um, but I just want to talk about the first album. You mentioned a bit earlier about Bostish. And that became a hit in the dance charts in America. How did that come about?
1: Well, uh, that's a, a really a long story. It, it, the, the funny thing was that uh, this uh, postage, which makes no sense, postage in, in, in German is like when you have a, a machine that, that puts paper together. And uh, the, the funny thing was that somehow uh, one of our vinyls and we probably produced about a thousand or something ended in the hands of Frankie Crocker. This is Frankie Crocker at uh, WBLS and he played it upside down. He had about 60 or 70 FM stations and artist friends of mine in uh, New York they said, Dieter, this is your band, right? It, it's, it's, it's yellow. They're playing it eight times uh, a day on each station. And The interesting thing was that this was only so successful in the black community and of course immediately when uh, we had this surprise success nobody bribed anything to 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 be a part of of uh, of of like uh, a, a wbls show you know it was purely occasional uh, that we ended up in that very important show for for the for for black people the record companies didn't have to spend a lot of money for the promotion of what we did, and uh, everything came uh, out of the blue. Um, we signed quite important uh, 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 sort of uh, how do you say? We we signed uh, in, uh, important deals, you know, because the the record companies were happy that they, that they didn't have to play uh, a lot of uh, a lot of promotion money, you know, and then. Uh, They said, the guys that we uh, had to deal with, that he wanted us to do uh, one show in New York or two shows, which we did at the Roxy. And only uh, colored people came to that show. And uh, well, there there was a lot of really crazy stuff happening. Like it was at one point, there was a total cut of, of power. Everything was dark. Boris was afraid what had happened. He jumped like under his synthesizer. And uh, it was a very funny situation for about five minutes. There was no electricity anymore, but we somehow finished. And the second show was quite okay. And when we walked out, it was like in the middle, like a boxing ring. And we were protected by uh, big colored people. And the the, the the other guys, they came up to us and they always said, oh, we love it, we love it, pizza, sh- uh, 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 everybody pizza, pizza party, everybody pizza. They understood instead of everybody needs somebody, they understood everybody pizza party. And out of this misunderstanding, this became a huge hit because nobody would sing a song like, everybody, pizza party, sometimes, sometimes. This was crazy for these people, but it wasn't pizza party, it was everybody needs somebody sometimes, you know. So there's a lot of coincidences uh, that made Yellow uh, like uh, a successful band.
0: How have you maintained uh, a Yellow sound over the years when there's been so many electronic bands uh, that have come after you, yet from the first notes of yellow, from your voice, obviously, it's so identifiable as yellow. So how have you maintained that sound and as a different sound from everything that's come after you?
1: Well, this you should ask uh, Boris, uh, who of course uh, was uh, always, uh, how should I say, uh, who was uh, jumping into his own world and uh, was surprised what was happening. You know, this is why the process for him as uh, producing an album always takes so long, because he jumps into the same sand pitch maybe a hundred times until he is happy to release it. And uh, I'm the total uh, different guy. I'm a, like, for example, in Standing at the Machine Every Day for All My Life and most of the other songs, it took me maybe uh, an hour to, to write uh, the melodies and, and the lyrics, not even writing it down, just improvising a lot of it. And when it was okay, uh, it was okay. And But I always uh, surprised me that, that something came out. And also, I used my voice, of course, uh, for different uh, for different sounds, like, oh, yeah, you know, oh, yeah, chigga chiggy. And this, uh, I, I was like a chameleon, you know, that uh, be- because I could do with my voice uh, a lot of sing- things. I could use my voice like, a, like an instrument, you know. It, it, I, I, I was never a great singer, but obviously uh, the, the, the special way I did it was uh, accepted uh, by a lot of people. They thought it was very funny.
0: Oh,
1: yeah. chica chica.
0: How much do you think the contribution of yours to the visual image of Yellow has helped maintain the unique identity of the band?
1: Well, we, we never had a, a, a problem. I mean, as I told you before, we were always surprised, especially when Boris... Uh, confronted me with his fantastic music. We were surprised, like little children who loved to play and suddenly something was there that they liked, you know. It, uh, and we, as I told you also, we had really a lot of fun. Boris in his own way, you know, building his sound castles. And Dieter uh, as a speculator, what he could do, what happened to, to him when he was performing. He uh, came to a situation when Boris went uh, to have lunch and he just uh, allowed uh, the, 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 the sound running. And by the time he was back, I could propose uh, some, uh, I wouldn't even call it lyrics, but, but some sort of sounds to him. And especially this uh, standing at the machinery day for all my life. Boris thought at the beginning that this was absolutely not what he expected. Uh, from uh, that, uh, from that sound that he had created, and uh, at that time I only had half uh, a, a tape uh, spur, you know. And when uh, Boris was not happy with it, uh, we had to erase it. It was the time when when a singer always had like very little room, and uh, then I insisted that I would, I didn't want it to erase it because it was a, a lucky punch and the. The sound engineer whose job of course it is not to comment but he said Boris this is quite funny what uh, Dieter did here and this is how uh, Boris then went home and said okay when you don't want to propose another melody or another song uh, then uh, my day is is over uh, he took the cassette and went to all kinds of different bars and uh, everybody was mesmerized by this track and finally Boris believed that it was not so bad to erase it, you know. But uh, that was actually one of the few times that Boris was really uh, not uh, happy with my so-called singing. And this was, of course, one of the tracks that really made uh, uh, a big band out of Yellow. The,
0: the album You Gotta Say Yes to Another Excess was the last album to feature Carlos Perón, and you haven't really mentioned him yet. But was there a struggle for expression within the band at that time?
1: Uh, I, I never realized that. And uh, uh, Peron, uh, Carlos Peron, he was more like uh, uh, an early type, uh, how should I say, uh, a friend of Boris. Uh, uh, maybe it's even a little bit of a, of a, a producer I wanted uh, he wanted to be. But he uh, came to a point uh, when... Uh, uh, Boris uh, didn't want to continue uh, to work with uh, with Carlos Peron, and Carlos Peron uh, went, went for his 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 own his own way, you know. But uh, it was a, a just a, a separation which clearly had to come up sooner or later because Boris really uh, wanted to be on his own. He didn't want to have anybody around when he produced uh, his music, so. Um, uh, Perón uh, found his own way and his own style, and uh, the, the band was split. But even when we worked together, the contribution of of um, of, uh, of Perón was minimal. But nevertheless, uh, Boris uh, uh, liked it to have this guy in the studio. It was always it was a good symbiosis, but not so far on, on the musical side, but just on having somebody. Who enjoyed his music when he was when
0: he was working? I mean, once you know when Carlos left, and then you you uh, made Stella. That was when you know the hits really came in with "Oh Yeah" and "Vicious Games." Yeah. Um, and so, do you put that down to the fact then you were really able to, or Boris was really able to complete the music on his own, and you were able
1: to contribute your part mm-hmm. uh, as well? 99% of whatever happened to Yellow was, was, was Boris Blank and, and, and my voice and uh, the fact that uh, Peron left uh, I mean but, but was of, of no importance at, at all, you know, it, and it had nothing to do with our breakthrough. As you know, you know, it, it is always an alchemistical wonder uh, if a, a little band from Switzerland uh, has a a, a worldwide, uh, a, a worldwide situation, and uh, millions of people liked our uh, our sounds, and and maybe even a little bit my voice. Now you
0: worked with Billy Mackenzie over the years mm-hmm. um, of the you know of the Associates' Party Fears Too, which was a track that I adored in the early ages. Um, what had been your connection to him before you? Worked with him was it through his music that you you knew him and how would you describe his talent from working with him?
1: Well, his talent was enormous. He was probably the nicest voice of uh, of pop music uh, of of all of of, of all. Yeah, and uh, our manager at that time in England, Ian Trigoning, he uh, was kind of a friend of. Uh, of, uh, give me the name again.
0: Billy McKenzie.
1: Billy McKenzie. And Billy McKenzie, first of all, he also was singing for Boris. uh, But most important was uh, the contribution of Shirley Bassey, because Shirley Bassey couldn't read notes. And uh, uh, when uh, uh, Boris insisted to work with Shirley Bassey, Billy McKenzie, uh, he didn't compose a track, but he was singing for uh, 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 Shirley Bassey listened to, uh, to Mackenzie and uh, I was coming back from somewhere in Europe and by the time I was back home uh, sort of one o'clock in the afternoon, the whole song was already done and Shirley had sung uh, about three or four absolutely beautiful uh, versions and to this very day uh, I still like uh, her song and uh, she still uh, performs this song in her shows
0: yeah, no, it's an absolutely beautiful song. Um, on the flag was was The Race, which was an eight-minute track, and uh, there was a video that was created of stock footage. Can you tell me about that video that you created and the attention that you were trying to uh, get across?
1: Well, again, you know, it was totally improvised. Of course, uh, uh, there were some uh, relationships with, with with the song, you know, like about the there, there is no big secret and no real composition behind this. I just uh, actually, uh, Patricia Fontana, she did a marvelous job as a as a dancer, and Boris was a, an incredible comic in in this uh, in this performance when he was uh, sitting in his uh, little, uh, well, he was just on a chair, and the, the whole thing t- turned out to be funny that he wasn't even sitting in a car, but. Uh, I mean, yeah, the rest, as I always told you, is just by coincidence. You know, this, this was, we just again enjoyed uh, to have fun with that uh, track. And uh, the funny thing was that uh, a German company that had a, a video show, uh, they wanted, they were looking for a, for a soundtrack and they didn't like what they got sent. And then they, they asked Boris, and Boris said, I'm not going to do this. And then uh, he did it with a with a piece that he thought was not that interesting, but he delivered it and became, became a, a very famous, uh, a very famous track from him. The race, the race, the race of course, but uh, it was a, a big, uh, a big show was on, and this also helped uh, to make us uh, famous.
0: Now you've also become an entrepreneur, and. Um in your life so how much creativity is in entrepreneurship
1: well that's a good question you know it's i, I was more like uh, fascinated by certain ideas of certain guys or certain women and uh, when i thought it was interesting i started to collaborate uh, with these people sometimes uh, it was interesting and sometimes it was just uh, something that uh, once you are in that, once you, uh, you know, we, I, I produced the first Euphonics console. This was uh, the first fully uh, automatic uh, uh, console, and uh, it, it was very expensive. I spent a lot of money, and at, at the very moment when we, uh, when the big uh, companies were working with our console, like out of seven uh, Oscar 6 were won with our console and I was happy I thought this is now uh, like a breakthrough and then an incredible thing happened that uh, CNN had a, 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 a speech by uh, George W. Bush and uh, the guy who was mixing this uh, he was uh, very interested in listening to two ladies who were still wired up and these ladies were talking about their sex adventures. And this went over the speech of um, of George W. Bush. And it was a huge scandal in the whole United States. Now, they, the CNN guys, they came to us and said, look, you have to take this uh, on your own uh, mistake. Uh, we look like total idiots. If you don't do that, uh, we are not working with you anymore. So <laughs> poor uh, company. Uh, said okay in which case we we we, uh, we have to admit that it was a mistake which was not true not only did cnn uh, still work with us uh, but also a lot of other big companies who had uh, bought or were about to buy our consoles uh, stepped back and said well here we see this analog console still is not reliable and we don't want to work with it and this was the the, the moment when I had to give up, you know, I was happy uh, to get uh, 60 cents to the dollar back, but it was a big loss and really uh, a very depressing situation because I had the first console ever and the best console and uh, I had to give up because uh, as the, the reason was that uh, I was not able to go back again.
0: So then what has what poker giving, given you in terms of your entrepreneurial
1: dealings? Well, you know, poker is uh, like when, uh, how should I say, poker is poker. You know, each time you have a new hand, um, you can play your game. And it's, it's a new world you, you, you get each time in, in poker. But uh, if you are an entrepreneur, like now, I uh, I, uh, so I uh, created a big uh, chocolate uh, uh, enterprise, and uh, uh, the, the, once you say yes to this, there is no way back. You know, in poker, you have a new hand every thirty so, uh, every three minutes. You know, but if you are fascinated by the cold extraction of the cocoa bean and you make a much better chocolate. Then there is no way back. You know, there is. Uh, you you have to follow up even when things get difficult. I had all kinds of very tough situations with that. Now uh, uh, we are happy to, after three and a half years, have this factory done. And some of the big players, like from Starbucks and like from Barry Callebaut, the biggest players, uh, are very interested in us. And uh, Howard Schultz. Uh, Even allowed that I could have uh, uh, in his roastery center a first test of what this chocolate did. And the chocolate did very well. And now we have um, uh, another big or two big chances in Manhattan. And if this works out as well, then I'm happily uh, sort of uh, invited uh, to produce my chocolate for five or 10,000 people. It's amazing. I mean, everyone I
0: talked about when I said I was going to interview you mentioned yellow's music and chocolate. So I think you're definitely onto something there. The process is something that doesn't heat the cocoa. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, yeah. Of you know, the 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 old way to produce chocolate is uh, they use a lot of uh, materials that come from outside. That nothing is natural. Uh, the the uh, the, the the butter is uh, is just absolutely no flavor in it. Um, the the the, the product is a, is an artificial product. In my case, I have everything from the cocoa bean, even the pulp that is inside the cocoa fruit. I use this uh, to give uh, more uh, sweetness in it. But of course, it's much much better this kind of sweetness. Than all the other sugar bombs that are being used. And the industry at the beginning, they were laughing at that. But what I was doing, because they did not want to change their approach in in factories. But once they heard that I'm close to Howard Schultz and that he said, Dieter, uh, your product is absolutely outstanding. We are in business. They didn't take me seriously, but now... They come my way and they ask, uh, could we do this and that? And could we work together? And uh, uh, I have one or two companies with which uh, I work, but uh, let's see what's happening. But I'm, I also had a very difficult time. You know, it was really tough till this whole machine was working.
0: I hope I pronounced this right, but Oyo de Agua, your ranch in Argentina, what impelled you to start that? And what does it give you on a personal level? Well,
1: even as a little boy, I, I worked uh, with on on on, on uh, as a farmer. I loved it to be help to helpful for uh, for farming on the lake of Zurich. And my dream always was uh, to have a big piece of land and to produce uh, uh, organic products. And in '96, for a long time, I couldn't go to Argentina because of this very very. Uh, bad uh, time when they had uh, the dictatorship of of these uh, crooks and and murders you know they murdered uh, dozens of people who were uh, like not following uh, the the gangsters they were true bad bad people and I couldn't go there and in only 96 I went to Argentina again and I found a first uh, situation with uh, 2500 hectares and the a very beautiful old rundown house. And this was exactly what I was looking for. Over the years, I renovated that house and I was able uh, to be a little profitable. And I then started also with uh, uh, with grapes and I started with nuts. And in the meantime, I have about sixty or 70,000 hectares with all kinds of products. And uh, this is for me, uh, probably uh, the biggest joy of what, what, whatever I did, you know, it's it's so fantastic when you see things growing and you're doing a good job You because you're honest and you have no chemicals and all the rest of it. For example, at the Rio Negro, left and right, uh, there is a, a, a it, it's a very dry area. Nothing really grows there, but you can take the water out of this wonderful big river and on water channels you you can bring the water to the trees or to the uh, or or to the beans or whatever you know it, it is a very big and interesting adventure what you can do when you build your channels or sometimes you even pump the water out with uh, with the solar panels you know we we take the water out and uh, we have wonderful water there and uh, very very good products and i'm totally happy that uh, I can uh, spend uh, the the next two or three months of the year in Argentina. And I'm happy when my uh, chocolate company now does a good job. But by the way, my eldest daughter took over the business and she's a a very precise and a very nice person. And uh, I can give this to her and she will do a great job.
0: You're a very wealthy man, but what does wealth mean to you?
1: First of all, I'm not very health, very wealthy, and second, uh, it is as I told you, not different from my way of music. I'm just interested in finding new ways, and when I see something that could be interesting, uh, I, I I dive into that, and I have to I have to do it. You know, it, it it's not. Uh, uh, that I want to be a, a rich man it is when i make money i invest more money uh, to uh, to have more land uh, that is being uh, productive with organic uh, uh, 100% organic situations yeah? so that that is what makes it and I'm, I'm i'm i i could have stopped working whenever you know it, it uh, but it was never the issue that i would uh, do it as, as, a, as a matter of having a lot of money.
0: You mentioned the word coincidence uh, uh, quite a lot in this interview. And I know that is an important thing in your life. And I wanna say at the end that I'm very grateful that uh, there have been so many coincidences that have led you to have the life that you've had because you've contributed so much to popular culture, um, which has been part of all our lives. And I think I speak for so many people that we're internally grateful um, for your musical, your visual contribution over the years. And I can't wait for the chocolate. So, Dieter Meyer, I want to say at the end, thank you very much for
1: joining me today. I have to thank you. And you had so many uh, interesting questions. And of course, my English is uh, sort of limited compared to my mother tongue, which is, of course, German. And I hope uh, you could use some of my statements. And uh, especially today, uh, I had a complicated morning and uh, I was not, maybe not at the top uh, of of my capacity, but uh, I enjoyed uh, your uh, questions and uh, I hope uh, that you can work with it.
0: Dieter, it can alles mit das machen, it's überhaupt gar kein Problem. Dieter Mayer, danke.
1: Well, If you send me uh, your address, I can send you some chocolate. And there is only one disadvantage. If you have tasted my chocolate, you will never taste another chocolate again.
0: (laughs) I totally believe that.
1: that. You you get a total addict. You have to live with that. Okay. That's
0: the addict I can live with. Brilliant. Okay. Dieter Meyer, thank you again. Bye.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Thank
0: you.
1: A cash recommends.